So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. <laughs> that was a good year. <laughs> yeah, I was eleven. <laughs> I was nineteen. <laughs> I was in the middle. All right, here we go. Right. <laughs> uh, welcome to Kafarocast, everyone. I've been on hiatus for a couple of months or maybe a little more uh, hunting too much. But uh, while I was gone, I was able to um, go do, do quite a bit of hunting. One of the animals uh, that I shot was with an elite ethos when I was in British Columbia. Kind of screwed that up because I posted photos a little early, but now I can actually talk about it. So I thought this would be a good time to bring the crew from Elite Archery on, or some of the crew, and talk about the new bows, uh, the ideas behind it. So I have the great Darren Christianberry and great Nathan Brooks on the podcast. Uh, fellas, hello. Thanks for hopping on. What's up? Morning. Yes, we can we can officially talk about this ethos now. We tried to cover that up like a cat covering up crap, but boy, <laughs> uh, we can we can officially talk about it now. Yeah, I got. I think I was in trouble for. A, a, well, it didn't really matter because I was on the side of the mountain, so I couldn't get yelled at. I didn't have service, but uh, <laughs> I was getting texts as I came back to base and had Wi-Fi that I had. had uh, well, I don't want to cuss, but I had effed up. Uh, I wasn't really. I didn't think you could really tell exactly what the bow was, and I kind of blacked out where it said ethos, but I had spray-painted the limbs, and I had a side profile picture, and somebody kind of put together the ethos part, and then that's that's when I got got, got in trouble. How much heat did that how, – how, was that burning up the phone lines for a couple of days for you too? I'm apologizing for that. Uh, it, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's it's – any kind of publicity is good publicity, good or bad. And it was just like, I think the only thing that was really alarming is when, when something like that leaks that are made the customers start asking for it instantly. And they call our dealers, Hey, what about this new bow? And they're blindsided. They're like, what bow? You know, we still have Omnia's and Aries hanging on the shelf. How can they launch a new bow already? So uh, just a few phone calls and it's, it's not life or death. I mean, but you, the savages on the internet, the savages on social media, they can't wait to be the first person to know something so they can be like, Oh, I talked to Darren Christenberry or Darren Christenberry said, or, Hey, I saw Aaron Snyder's picture and he's got the brand new ethos and they screen shoot it and they zoom in so they can read it. And it's just, um, it is what it is. It's water on the bridge. Well, what's amazing to me is how many people, uh, you know, from a, from a screenshot, all of a sudden, they know what the specs are on the bow. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that's their new da 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 da. You know, hey, this is we got it figured out. You know. Yeah, right. We, we got all the inside scoop, and it's, yeah. it's just amazing to me how many of those guys show up suddenly. Yeah, I've uh, I've learned over time. Uh, I just don't read that much anymore. It's, it's usually safer, especially if it's archery talk or rock slide because inevitably i have to read 
how stupid I am or potentially how stupid you guys are. So I've learned to not, not read <laughs> and I make hot pocket comments and based living with your mom in their basement comments, things like that, which we won't talk about that today. So Darren, you've, you've been on the podcast before, uh, Nathan, I've never had you on, but I've actually, you know, followed both of you when I pretended to be an archer, uh, you know, two decades ago, but I've, I've always followed along with both of you, but tell, tell everybody about yourselves, what you do at elite, a little bit of your archery history both if you don't mind both you guys yeah i um i'm the pro staff coordinator that's my official title so i do manage the pro shooting staff and i help the sales reps with what we uh, we've coined the name needle movers uh but it's just an extension of the pro staff we've targeted shop owners shop shooters guys behind the counter uh that have a direct impact uh on our brand exposure that can impact sales so We've, you know, we've expanded our, our pro staff essentially. And, um, I deal with a lot of that. Uh, obviously, uh, if you see elite at a tournament and the trailers there, that's me. That's bringing it now. Nathan used to have that. I, I took that over cause he's a sales rep now. He doesn't really have time to be on the road that much, but, uh, I've shot competitive archery since the late nineties, uh, turned pro in 2000 and, um, had a had a splattering of success over several years there have switched hands in the past couple of years went from righty to lefty because of some physical stuff that i couldn't really pinpoint um but my love of the sport kept me going a little uh a little prodding along by nathan brooks saying dude you can do this and it's lit a new fire under me I, i appreciate archery i love the game i love everything about it building arrows to hunting to target to you know, visiting with most of my friends are from the archery world. So it's, uh, archery is pretty much my life. And that, uh, that basically sums me up in a nutshell. Yeah. And I'm kind of have a lot of the same stories there. I, um, I, I grew up in a, in a sort of in a pro shop. I didn't really, uh, my, you know, my parents didn't own one or anything, but I was always in one, I guess would be the way to say it. And I helped, uh, you know, I helped, figure out how to build bowstrings for the first time there in the archery shop, you know, when the archery shop got a, um, a string jig for the first time, I, I was just a teenager and I helped them figure out how to actually do it, you know, just cause I'd read articles from Larry wise on how to build strings. And, uh, so I've always felt like I was learning archery and I still feel like I'm learning archery every day. And I, I love the, the, the aspect of how to make something better, the building a better mousetrap sort of thing. I love that aspect of archery and I've been blessed enough to be able to be around some really intelligent people in this industry and uh, develop some pretty neat technology over the years and be part of lots of different things that have happened. And uh, so, you know, that brings a lot of gratitude um, to me or satisfaction to me. And then I, I've been a professional archer since 1999. I, um, I started there when I was uh, 20 years old, or yeah, I guess I was 20. And uh, I've had some success along the way. Um, you know, pre Dan McCarthy and Levi Morgan era, I actually <laughs> won about. I would average three tournaments a year that I would win before those guys came along. And then that really slowed it down when they got there because they started doing most of the winning. And so uh, in my early 
professional career. I won the IBO World Championship, NFAA Shooter of the Year, um, indoor nationals a couple of times, and then took what seemed like a long hiatus from winning and started winning again in 2016 and uh, won a couple of tournaments back-to-back, IBO World, ASA Classic, and um, just uh, – and like I said, I've, this archery has been a passion of mine for a long time. And building these bows, learning how this stuff works, being able to do it at a high level and being able to feel the difference from, you know, this one to that one and the difference it makes for me is a, is a big thing. And uh, so, yeah, I've been a part of this for a long time. And I tell you what I get just a kick out of as much anymore is when I see – someone actually chasing a big critter and they successfully harvest a big old elk or whatever. And they said they was using this or that, or, you know, how important this was to their, to their hunt and knowing that you had a hand in building something like that. So, um, th- that's the satisfaction I think I get from it anymore, but yeah, I love it. I'm, at the tournaments, uh, all, or at least the ASAs, most of the time, trying to help Darren out. Um, but anymore, I'm uh, a territory sales manager, so I cover five and a half states for elite. I got Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and half of Tennessee. So if you're a dealer in that area, um, you've probably heard from me because uh, I stay on the phones a lot and I keep the road hot traveling, going to <laughs> places seeing different people and showing them our toys so uh yeah that's that's the job now which states do you cover so i have missouri arkansas louisiana alabama mississippi and half of tennessee holy cow that is all the states where the chickens wear underwear so the the hoot owls won't rape them you are deep down (laughs) south (laughs) it's got to be sweaty down there too are are, (laughs) you I, I cannot handle that weather. I'm assuming you're used to it by now. <laughs> you don't ever get used to this crap. Um, I, I tell you what I really love is July taking a trip to the mountains in Colorado because it's like it's the escape from uh, from the hell weather that's here because it's always so humid and so hot. And, man, I love just packing my things up and going to the mountains where there's no humidity and 70-degree temperatures. Yeah. Yeah. When I was down there for the classic, I thought we were going to have a pimp down situation like that was too much for this fat kid. That was that was rough. But get, getting off me sweating to death, um, the set technology, for example, that's something you had a big part of, wasn't it, Nathan, for the, uh, you know, the newer bows? Um, I, as I understood it, that was you, right? Well, I mean, Josh Sidebottom is the design engineer behind it. Um I I come to Josh with the idea, and so I mean it's a collective effort by far. It's it, I mean I I I didn't bring that to the table. It was definitely Josh's design. Uh, but I but I told him what I was seeing, how I was experiencing it, and uh, what what was working and why. And so after I had the conversation, he's like, "Oh, that's that's pretty interesting." He said so. Uh, tell you what he said get me give me some more data and so i jumped into it done some more stuff and like josh this is working like a chant and uh so we sat down and talked about how would how would be the best way to design it and uh, in the booth 
in the booth in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, now, Darren, we'd already drawn it out on a napkin. So. Yeah, but I, I, I remember, I remember the the official the official drawing off the napkin happened in the booth in Vegas, I believe, or the yeah, the initial right. the initial rough draft. Mm-hmm. So, with that technology, um, to put it not into a layman's terms, but for anybody that's that's followed along. Um, you know what I've talked about everything from like shimming cams or yoke tuning, you know, things like that with, with a set technology, you're actually moving, you know, the limb pocket, so to speak. So it's, I use it more for micro tuning. I don't really do. Uh, in fact, you know, I had a, a, a few people, I think it was on an Omnia that were getting, you know, cam rub cause they were maxing out the, uh, the set technology. And, and I was like, well, I, I don't, really ever want to max anything out when it comes to that, you know, max my rest out really far in, really far out, or really put a ton of cam lean on. And the set technology, I look at it kind of the same way. I use it, and I think it's one of the coolest things on tuning that I've seen in a long, long time. But I don't, I try not to max it one way or the other, you know, personally, because there's probably something else going on if I have to max it that much. Now, that's my own personal view on that, but I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Nathan. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I, I think that uh, technology is a great tuning asset. Um, it, it can be used. I mean, it can be maxed out. You know, it has a range of motion within it that is acceptable. And I think Josh has done a pretty good job of saying, this is how far I want to be able to take this. And, and that changes on different platforms. Set, uh, original set or set 1.0, uh, was built on a different set of limbs and platforms. So you'd had the cure and the result and result 36, encore, uh, those bows, uh, and the remedy, it had a certain range of motion in there. So when we changed from the set 1.0 to 2.0, it still works the same way, but it's it's a different range of motion because you're dealing with a different limb set, a different uh, platform as far as the width. So it kind of really boils down to the design engineer and, and, and what they feel like is an acceptable range of motion. So I'm, I personally do the same thing, Aaron. I, I don't just, when I get the bow, I don't just uh, use set to do the tuning. I I use anything that's there. Now, most of the time, I can pull a bow out of the box, and it's just a matter of setting the rest in the correct position, and, um, and, and usually you can get it really close like that, and then use set for fine-tune adjustments, especially like if you're setting up a hunting bow and you're, you're broadhead tuning or like uh, when we are – setting up a, a tournament bow and I'm wanting to bear shaft my arrows, you know, bear shaft tune doesn't always mean that's where I'm going to use it. Cause sometimes I find that the setup is a little bit more forgiving in a different, different area, but I like to know that it can do it, but I would agree that it probably performs best if it's not maxed out, but it can max out. So it's, it, it's not an issue. And as far as, um, you know, maxing it out one way or the other, it really just depends on the load and the the way the cables are like with the Omnia, you know, there was some issues with cable rub. Some of that had to do with uh, the, the cam spacing on the, on the bow initially, right. As you pull it out of the bow or right out of the box, uh, the cam spacing needs to be correct. 
And, uh, you know, we've had a few get out that uh, may have been incorrect. But, again, it's a really simple change. It's just cam spacing. I mean, if you take a, uh, you know, I mean, a Hoyt bow, for instance, which is a great bow, if you got to tune one of those, that's what you have to do is change the spacers on so, it, which means you got to put it in the press and swap some things around and that sort of stuff. So it's no different than that. Matthews uses top hats. It's basically the same thing. Um, you know, so – not a big deal, uh, but people make it into a big deal uh, from time to time uh, just because, you know. It's the uh, Internet. Yeah, you know, it, it's not it, it's not something that should be uh, an enormously unbelievable thing. Like, oh, my gosh, they, you know, they, they totally messed this up. I mean, if you've ever had any bow that you've had to adjust the spacer on to get it tuned for you, then – it's so, no different than that. So to put a little bit more clarity in what we're talking about for, for people who haven't done a lot of tuning, um, for, for me out of the gate with pretty much any bow I've ever shot because of the way I, I grip the bow, I, I have to shim my cams to the left and a significant amount with any bow I shoot for the most part. And I, as I found, you know, people inherently, whether that's Darren or Nathan or, or, uh, Gaius Carter, for example, I know he's the same way. You got to shim it way to the left or put some twists in the left yoke if you have that option, or in the case like with the, you know, the set, I'll micro tune for whatever issues. I say issues, it's just how I, I grip or shoot shoot a bow, and it's been like that for three decades. So the the cam shimming though, you can't like on some bows, thank God, and they're changing it. There'd be 97 donuts that would shoot all over the pro shop floor, and then you'd cuss and throw shit. So you, you gotta <laughs> pull the axle out and then there's shims on either side of the cam and you're just changing where that cam sits between the, the limbs. Um, and if you guys want to dive in there, the, the donut thing, if you've ever done it, I'm sure you're laughing at the phone right now. It sucked back in the day and it still does with some bows when all those little bastards fall on the ground. Cause it's not like you like, Oh, let me go grab this tiny little extra donut. I have like, sometimes you lose one, you don't have another. Um, I'm assuming both of you have dealt with that, right? Oh, yeah. And, and I, I promise you, I, I have like beige carpet right underneath of my bow press. It's very easy to see anything that you drop. But every single time I take a bow apart and it has two spacers on the right and two spacers on the left, I lose one. I don't know where they go. They stick. They. I don't know where they go, but I have to get the calipers out or try to fill the void again, but uh, I'm fortunate enough to have enough spacers. If I do lose one, I have a good selection of what we use on hand, so it's not hard to do, but no matter how careful I am, you're right. It's uh, it's like a bomb going off. You know, you try to be as careful as you can be, and I've got tools, different uh, 3 sixteenths or quarter-inch diameter screwdrivers and torque wrenches that I slide back through the limbs and, you know, just worm them out a little bit at a time to catch the spacer so they don't go flying out. So I've learned to be a little more careful over the years, but I laughed when you said it because, trust me, I've done it more often than I care to admit. I've got a bow on my top shelf now that's in pieces so I could steal the shims out of that one for another bow I was working on and I still haven't put it back together. So, uh, so Nathan, thank you for inventing set you and Josh side bottom. Cause that helps me from having to do that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, and, and for anyone that is wondering why you would even need to do that, what happens when you're changing the spacers from side to side on the cam? 
what that is doing is that's changing the load from side to side that the cam, so the cam is balanced on the axle in between each limb. And so that, that makes the cam have a certain, we call it a cam attitude. Um, it's cam lean, but it's the attitude of the cam. And so if you face that a little bit further to the left, the attitude is going to lean to the left. The lean, the cam lean is going to be, you know, pointing left at the end of the cam. And then if you went to the right, it's going to be pointing more towards the right. So in Aaron's case, he's saying that he's getting a, he has to shim it to the left. So that means if he's shooting through paper and he's trying to tune his bow, he's typically going to get a left tear with most bows. So it's just inherent to like is your grip, the way you hold the bow, and that's fine because the cool thing about archery is, um, and I see these all the time, these posts about how's my form look and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they go on and on about all this stuff. And it just kills me because all I think about is when I, you know, I've been, call me a, uh, I think, I like to think I'm a student of the game. You know, you watch what people do. And so I've been watching people for 30 years. And what I have seen across the professional ranks is, there's very few people that do it the same. And what is hilarious to me is when somebody sends me one of those pictures, Hey, how's my form look? I'll just tell them, can you repeat it? And then I'll send them a picture of a Matt Stutzman who doesn't have arms and say, <laughs> how does his form look? Can you beat this guy? You know, because Matt is one of the best shooters in the world, not just a pair of, Paralympic, you know, champion. He's like, he's freaking awesome. And those things don't matter as much as what people really think they matter. What matters is can you duplicate it every time? So, and like in your case, every bow you get, you shoot a left hair. Well, that's pretty, pretty good because that means whatever you're doing, you're doing it the same way. So it's and funny. That, and that can be tuned out. But, well, I'm, I'm glad you're. I don't want to dive too far off into this. We can circle back later because we were actually supposed to talk about the new bows. But when you, <laughs> with the, I remember with Bill Pellegrino doing exactly the same thing, like back in the late nineties, when I was starting to get into tournament archery and Bill shot fingers at the time, Bill's an amazing archer, super good dude. Um, and he would be literally say, how the fuck would I know you're shooting it? Are you doing it consistent? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I mean, he was very blunt, man. It depends, too, because some days he had highs and lows. If you guys know Bill, he can be a little up and down at times. And uh, it, But it made sense immediately to me. He's like, Is, are you doing it consistently? And he brought up Tom Crow with like a 30-inch draw shooting 80 pounds punching the trigger and he's and then you know he i learned a lot about that because back then hopkins was kind of the levi right and then you came well, on a little bit later yeah. nathan but like there was oh david step was a guy and then george dixon these were all guys winning in senior and several others well i tried to anchor like hopkins because i wanted to be like him and it take three large men and two small boys to turn my hand the way he shoots i can't do it and then i watched cousin yeah, right cousin shoot and I'd go cross-eyed I'm like man his shit's crossing on the other wrong side of his nose but I'm gonna try it <laughs> well then I, I eventually was like I need to shoot the way that is applicable to me Aaron Snyder 
not what everyone else is doing. There's certain form things. So why don't both of you guys talk a little bit about that? Because Darren, you went left to right hand. You both been successful. And that's what's applicable, meaning from people listening, getting into archery, trying to get their bow to tune. You know, I, I hear all, hey, man, my my bro, my arrow flight goes really bad at 40. And I'm like, so you mean like there's ninjas in there, but they don't pop out until 40? Nah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, so, yeah, but a little bit about the, the bow tuning, You like you said, consistency. Go into a little bit more depth with that as far as like the string angle, and we'll kind of lead that into the the ethos. A lot of times people are more consistent with a certain string angle, um, you know, how it crosses their face. They don't even know that. They're like, this bow is the best bow I've ever shot in my life, but they have no idea why. And then they go to a bow that's much shorter or longer. A lot of times that's that's string angle can be that on their face. They don't even realize it. Yeah, it. Uh, I, I think a lot of people, take everything for face value too. And what I mean by that is if you don't do your own bow work, if you're relying on a shop pro shop, your, 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 your favorite buddy that is the most knowledgeable of the group. Once they set something up, they don't, they don't touch it. They're afraid to move anything. And I think that is to me, I don't understand that because I know when I tie in a peep site, if I'm building a new bow or change a set of strings and cables, and I've measured absolutely everything off my other bow, if, my D loop is a fraction shorter, a fraction long. If my peep is a 16th of an inch higher, a 16th of an inch low, that has an effect on my results downrange, you know, and not necessarily in a bad way, but it could be in a good way. You know, I've lowered my peep just a little bit to tighten my anchor some, and I feel like my groups are tighter, but I've also had my peep a little bit too high to where I initially get set up really good and centered. But then as I work through my shot, my head fades a little bit and I lose my center and my groups open up a little bit. So I think people are afraid to make minute adjustments to see what's better and then take the time to collect the data to prove it's better. And what I mean by that is you can't just make a change, shoot two arrows and go, yep, that fixed it. You know, check your stuff at 40 yards, 50 yards, 60 yards. Your your peep height especially is going to affect your performance at different distances. Uh, and one thing to find out if you're being consistent, like you said, you know, how's my form? Does this fit my bow? I can't group whatever. If you take one arrow out of your quiver and you shoot it through paper, four or five times, you should get the exact same tear four or five times. And if you don't, it's one of two things. You're doing something totally different every shot, or you have the complete wrong arrow set up, you know, or you can check it, you know, some arrows you can knock tune whatever, but in a general consensus, if you pull an arrow out and if you're doing the, you can check to see if you're doing the correct thing every time by shooting it through paper, you should get the exact same tear or an almost mirror image every time you shoot that. So then you can start to fine tune where the problem is. But if you get a different tear every single time you shoot that arrow through paper, it's the Indian, not the equipment. It's you got to work on you to make sure you're gripping the bow right, make sure you're anchoring correctly, make sure you have the right pressures in your bow hand and on your release. And when you start doing it correctly, you'll get repetitive results, and then you can build from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo all the same things there. And then you've got – what is amazing to me is you can take a bow, um, and I'll, I'll I'll go back to one specific bow that I was shooting in 2012, and I, I wound up bringing that same bow back out. 
in 2016 and I actually won the IBO World and ASA Classic with it. So in 2012, I was shooting a, um, it wasn't a bow that PSE was making at the time because I was, I was shooting for PSE and it was, it was a combination of a couple different parts from different bows. And eventually we made that bow and it was called a, a Freak, Freak SP. And um, so I, I used that bow in 2012 and had a really good year. And I shot a split loop on that bow when I first started setting it up. And what I'm, and when I say split loop, I'm just talking, I mean, it's like the normal loop where you, you knock your arrow on the string and your loop, your, your tie knot is above and below the knock, which is what 99.9% of the people in the country, probably how they would shoot a loop, probably even more than that. And we know from testing and things like that in machines that that is probably the most accurate way to set up a bow. But when you throw the human element in things, it just totally changes everything. So that's where it comes back to repeatability. And so I was playing with that bow and it shot okay, but I was adjusting something and I moved my top knot down on the loop to where it was touching the bottom loop. And for whatever reason, I decided to try it like that with a, that's what you'd call a low loop. So the arrow is actually knocked above that and your loop is completely below. Well, that bow went from holding okay and shooting okay to, oh my gosh, it was the magic. It would aim so good. It didn't have any uh, abrupt movement to it. The pin float was just nice and easy. And the bow tuned better with the arrow above the loop than it did below. So if you were trying to, to determine the, you know, like you went and you were trying to really look at my setup to figure out, oh, well, this is why this makes this so much better. And that makes you would you would come to a totally 100 percent inconclusive decision as to this shouldn't work. But it was awesome. And like I said, I brought that bow back out in 2016 and won the IBO World with it and the ASA Classic. And it was just, it was the magic for me. But finding that in all these other bow setups, it just didn't seem to uh, translate as easily because I've tried that low loop numerous times and, and it doesn't really work. It was that particular bow, that particular setup and arrows combination um, dynamic reaction, the way the bow works, at, you know, during the shot and everything that goes along with it, that fit me. And it fit me to the point of, we say this a lot, uh, you know, in shooting, it's not your best shots that win these tournaments for you. It's how bad is your worst shot? So if you can keep your worst shot down to a minimal of missing the dot or missing the target, well, then you're going to put more arrows in the middle. And so that, that's really what it's about is minimizing mistakes. And so with that setup, for me personally, it was awesome. And I've tried to duplicate that many different times, and I've not really found that special potion again like that in that scenario. Um, but the point of that is for each individual, when you're, uh, you know, if you're an amateur shooter, if you're a professional shooter or whatever, 
you really need to learn yourself. And when you figure yourself out and what you do consistently, then you can tune for it. Then you can look for that magic because you know that when you do this, this happens. So, or when you're seeing this result, well, it's probably because, like Darren said, uh, my peak's probably too high. You move it down and it get better. Or, or maybe your peak's too low because you've done it long enough that you have seen these groups do certain things, these flyers and these errant arrows. And you, there's just one little change in there you need to make to make it better. And so... Tuning for yourself is it's just that you got to learn yourself. I want to add to that just a little bit. And and uh, if anybody's curious, I've done a video on, uh, I have kind of the same story Nathan did on the old school, uh, what I would say D loop um, back before D loops were cool, where you have a nail, not above and then the knock. And then the, I did a whole video on all of that. Cause there are certain boats I found doesn't happen very often just work better with that system. But one of the things, the stabilization system and the draw length with what you, what you, what you were just talking about, Nathan, specifically, some people have the, pre- well, I don't know if propensity is the right word to shoot over an animal's back, we, you know, going into hunting, but same with target under pressure, or they may fade out the bottom of the, the peep site. They dip low. There's all kinds of different things. And I've found a lot of that is one draw length and two, the stabilization system will have, a lot to do like if you have the if you like if you're generally missing high or blowing over the top of an animal's back you're doing one of two things or both you know generally hammering the shit out of the trigger and peeping like peeking right you're looking up before the the arrows even left you're looking out of the top of the peep those are things that can also be altered or helped out by changing it, sometimes adjusting your draw length or, or the stabilization system. But again, that's learning you and being honest with yourself of, oh, the animal ducked. Well, did it duck or do you suck, right? There's there's a lot there to, to you need to look at. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the, the thing is when when you start being honest with yourself and not blaming your equipment, you find out most people that that get to that point, they actually start doing a lot better really fast. Yeah, I, I we'll we'll come back to that. Let's let's move on to the new bows um, uh, that you know that just came out again. We, like I said, the Ethos was the one that I had uh, tried. It really has kind of the E thirty five feel to it. I actually was going to send you guys. I shot a a couple animals with that thirty five you know, before I, I knew or, you, you know, had met either of you. Um, it was a good shooting bow. Um, that ethos seems like you guys kind of tried to mimic the string angle and the feel of that E35, but you guys take it, take it from here. What, what, what the bows offer, where the design concept came from all that. Uh, Darren, you want to start? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, obviously, how do I want to word this? I, I, I have I have a vision of the world that I live in on a direction that elite archery should go, you know, or what I hope for, what I hope to see next. And I really felt like this year was the year we played off the verdict. You know, the verdict was well received. It's the best target bow we've ever built. Um, you know, the E35 is what put elite archery on the map. 
Um, and I thought, man, we're going to play off the verdict this year. We're going to come out with a V35. That's what Darren Christenberry had pictured in his head. And then when I heard from the team what we were bringing out, I was like, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. Where does the where do these new bows fall in our lineup? You know, we have the Era, we have the Omnia, we have you know the Envision still around. We have the we got rid of the Remedy, which was 34. We got rid of the Result, which was 37 and three quarter. We got rid of the Result 36, which was 36. Where do we fill that void? And until I got to see the new designs, which, you know, we've been working on longer risers, shorter limbs, bigger cams. And I'm not a physicist. I'm not a math genius. I, I, I have pretty good common sense, but I don't have a brain that thinks like that. And until the engineers and the marketing comes behind our new bow launch, I was like, huh, okay, I get it now. I, I was kind of educated to it. And unfortunately, the majority of our customer base and the majority of bow hunters in general, they take everything for face value, black and white. When we say we got a 30 inch bow, they go, crap, it's too short, you know, or we got a 32 inch axle, crap, it's too short. But the ethos literally, and we've said that, and we're trying to teach people that, you know, axle to axle may not be the most important measurement that we use going forward because of riser design, limb links, the size of cams, the SP cam that's on our era and Omnia and on the ethos, it's as big as a hubcap. So when you rotate that bow around and you get tip to tip at full draw, the limbs don't flex as much. So you don't lose a lot of that overall length at full draw. Point of all that, that babble is this bow, if you laid an overlay on the ethos to the E35, it's the exact same string angle. And I know people have a tough time believing that or swallowing that. Yes, it's still a 33. I totally get that. I totally understand that. But I was that guy too. Why are we building a 33-inch bow? And until I see it and until I touch it and feel it, then I'm like, oh, okay. I don't have to really lower my head. I don't have to scrunch down. The string angle's not that steep. So unfortunately, we're having to do a little storytelling along with what we've got. And again, it wasn't what I imagined or what I thought would be the home run for elite archery this year. But after I've seen why we're getting where we're getting, it makes total sense to me. So that's, you know, basically that's my assumption of it and what my thought process was and why we're where we are today. So, yeah, I'll follow that up with uh, some numbers that might bring a little clarity to that conversation. So, as a territory sales rep, I hear probably once a week someone tell me that we should redesign the E35. And, and the engineering team at Elite and Josh Sidebottom, those guys, they probably get sick of hearing that we should redesign the Energy 35. But the, the good thing about that is the reason why people say that is because they love that bow so much. It was a lot of people's experience um, – with elite started with either the energy 32 or the e35 and so so there's a lot of love around that bow and so that also fits the um what is what would you term that the the generic measurements <laughs> that the archery manufacturing organizations have put out for all these years 
is basically based on axle to axle length and your brace height. And, and those are really, really generic measurements because when you get down to it, you can have, as Darren said, you can have a bow that's 32 inches long and it have a skull can size cam on it. And you can have a, another bow that's 32 inches long and it's got a hubcap size cam on it. And those two bows are 32 inches and they get categorized as 32 inch axle to axle bows. And it's like, they're the same thing, but they're nowhere near the same type of bow because of how the cam is going to react when you cycle it, when you draw it back, what's happening on the whole bow dynamically during the shot. And there's so many factors that go into the why. And those are the things that I've been digging into because I'll ask these people that say, you should redesign the E35. I'll say, why? And they'll say, well, it's the best shooting bow ever. Well, why? Well, because I love the way the bow felt at full draw. It was extremely comfortable. Okay, but but why? Why was it comfortable? Oh, well, uh, because the let off felt good. Okay, so there's one thing. I can mark that off the list, let off. Why else is it comfortable? Well, the string angle really fit my face perfectly. Okay, there's another one, string angle, and that's a big one because that 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 makes comfort and repeatability something that go hand in hand for the archer to be successful and be accurate because if he's not comfortable he's probably not going to repeat really well but if he is he has a better chance of repeating over and over and over again and and that's the ultimate goal is to be able to repeat and so you start digging into all the little whys and a lot of times they can't tell you why, you know, somebody, maybe they're just not, um, a finely tuned enough archer to know the whys. And we can't always say we know exactly why when we get down to all the little tiny details, <clears throat> but at the same time, you can start putting certain pieces of that puzzle back together once it's destroyed and you you're building it back. And so that the re redesign process looks totally different now because of the way the limbs work and the way our riser links. And so an E35 had a solid limb on it. And as you know, with solid limbs, they have a flex point, a certain point on the limb. And I'm trying to dumb it down as is, is, simple as possible but there is a point in that limb where it flexes the most like if, if you were to grab a stick and you had both ends uh, in each hand and you go to flex it to move that stick it's most likely going to bend at the weakest point of the stick and that's what a solid limb is it's bending at the weakest point and that weakest point is typically right past the rocker in the limb pocket so it's not flexing out on the limb tip. It's only flexing right there in the belly. It's what we call the belly cut of the limb. It's flexing in the belly. And then so on a solid limb, that last four to six inches of that limb, it's pretty much all, it, it's just solid. It's not really doing anything. The flexing has happened towards the back of the limb, close to the pocket. And then so that creates this long motion in the way the limb flexes when you go to draw it back. 
Well, fast forward to today, which we're 10 years down the road, which is not a long time, but it's long enough that a lot of this has changed for us. So we're doing split limbs now instead of solid limbs. Well, the cool thing about split limbs is, number one, from a company standpoint, your failure rate goes to goes like next to nothing when you go from solid limb to split limb because solid limb wants to break in the middle nine times out of ten because it's got the limb tips that, where the axle runs through holds the cam and they're constantly fighting each other those limb tips because it has different load balances on them so they're fighting each other and the middle winds up splitting and that's why they split in the middle so if you just take that middle portion out of the limb altogether then you have two independent limbs and now they can function the way they need to instead of trying to fight against each other <clears throat> so with a split limb as well you don't have to belly cut it right past right past the axle you can belly cut it or i'm sorry i said past the axle i mean past the pocket you can go all the way to the axle and you can uh, taper that limb design all the way up to that point <clears throat> so what's happening with that limb is you're actually flexing the entire limb so i, I would love to be able to show a picture of the difference in the way a solid limb looks at full draw versus the way a split limb looks at full draw. Because on a split limb, you're going to see a nice even curve the entire way that the limb is flexing. And on a solid limb, you're going to see it come out of the pocket and it's going to bend super hard and super fast. And then it's going to be straight for a long ways all the way to the limb tip because that, that back part of the limb, it didn't even flexing. So I'm telling you this, so you'll understand that limb flex is totally different. Now, <clears throat> more specs. An energy 35 is 35 inches axle to axle. That's the obvious generic measurement. But the real measurement on an E35 is at brace height, before you draw that bow back, if you measure the tip to tip length, like if you're just standing this bow up on the ground, it's going to be 40 inches long from tip to tip. So it's five inches longer than the actual actual measurement actually says it is. When you draw that bow back at 30 inches, it's 36 inches tip to tip. So it loses two inches. <clears throat> it loses two inches off each end when you draw it back. An ethos tip to tip. Yes, it's 33 inch axle to axle bow. Did, did you say just the tip? 38 and a half inches long. What's that? <laughs> Not, I'm sorry. I said, did you say just the tip? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm I'm a I'm I'm a 12 year old. Sorry. Are you, are you Mormon? No. So, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that overall length. I'll change my terminology here so your head can get out. Uh, <laughs> the overall length is 38 and five eighths or 38 and a half inches from end to end on an ethos. So. It's not even close to 33 inches. When you draw the bow back, it goes to 36 and a half inches tip to tip at 30 inches of draw length. So you only lose about two inches total. So that's an inch off each end when you draw the bow back. So at full draw at 30 inches, you have a, a total string measurement. And I'm talking about the V shape the string makes when it comes to full draw at 30 inches. 
on an E35, it's 76.7 degrees. On an Ethos, it's 76.8 degrees. I mean, it is the exact same string angle. So when you cut that in half, because that's really, as an archer, what you feel is half of that angle, because your arrow would be basically the 90-degree line that cuts it in half. So you feel from the arrow basically to the string angle moving up. That's that's 38.4, 38.5 roughly is what you're going to feel on that half angle. So that comfort from the ethos to the energy 35, the feel should be as close as you can possibly make those two measurements. And so you can't really redesign a bow you can't make a ethos 35 and say, well, it's going to be like the energy 35 because it's not going to feel remotely close at full draw the same because the string angle is going to be much different on that E35 opposed to a ethos 35 because the limbs are flexing different. So, so the- I hope that that long story there kind of clears up some of the reasons behind a 33 inch axle to axle bow today is like a 35 inch bow 10 years ago. So I'm, I've thought quite a bit about this cause I do kind of the same thing as, as you, Nathan, when I'm, you know, the wise of trying to figure out why somebody may not be accurate or, you know, fixing some of the problems, whether that's mental or, uh, you know, their alignments off, whatever. Um, when you, as, as a business, right. And, and obviously I own businesses, you guys are working there. You have that decision to, as you guys tried to mimic the E35, right. You're, you're guessing what the consumer wants off of what they have told you. Is it the kind of thing with this, um, that as, as you had said earlier, people don't maybe know the why it's just longer bow shoot better or the E35 was awesome. And it's just hearing the 35 and it's a, I don't want to say placebo, but meaning would it have mattered one way or another to people? Would they have known the difference or was it just, um, I don't want to say implied. It was just ingrained in their brain, 35, 35, 35. And and that's what's going on. Meaning if you go through the history of me dating, you guys have probably been good boys and, and been married a long time. I'm always in that uh, five nine to six foot brunette with really large boobs, and it doesn't change, right? No matter what. I mean, I'm—they're all like that. Current wife, ex-wives, dating for the most part, and so somebody could say that blonde girl that has no upstairs, right? But nice, but she's the nicest. It, nope, I'm I'm after this, right? That's kind of what I'm getting at with I think in people's brains is. 35 and in trying to explain it's going to help because it's different, but it's grained in their mind, the axle to axle, no matter what. Yeah. And I, I, I understand that, you know, I get that um, because as a professional shooter, I know there's certain things that when I get off track of this or that, I go back to the well, I go back to what brought me where I'm at. And so I understand that the interesting thing is though, we'll never get people more educated 
if we don't try and change the narrative. And, and that's where I feel like as a team, uh, as a, you know, bringing new product to market is a challenge. Bringing new product to market that nobody wants is a harder challenge. <laughs> and if you're trying to say that, um, that this won't work because of this or that, well, what we want to do is we want to put the the understanding behind it, and I and I don't disagree um, about the the placebo effect yeah. uh, because that that is the perfect analogy of what of what people are understanding these bows to be because they're looking at it from the old standard of how we should measure a bow, and it's just so not true. I mean. And so we're going to look at Ethos and the Kairos. Now they're both identical bows. This is the perfect, the absolute perfect uh, segue for for this because the, both of those bows are identical axle to axle, but they are not anywhere remotely close to the same feel. And the interesting thing is the Ethos goes 25 and a half to 31 on the draw length. The Kairos goes 24 to 29 and a half. So you've got four and a half inches or four inches of overlap on draw length. So you could, anybody in that 25 and a half to 29 and a half draw length range can try either bow. And you will have a totally different experience with both bows because they feel dramatically different because the cam sizes are different. And so that's, that's the perfect understanding of just because this apple looks like this doesn't mean it's going to taste like this other apple. You know, they're, they're two different breeds, two different types of apples. You know, Honeycrisp is obviously the best, right? So <laughs> uh, you take a Honeycrisp and a Gala, they both look like apples, but they're not the same. And so that that's just what this is too. So we really need a better understanding of how to measure these bows. And I think the best way to do it would be for the manufacturer to give string angle measurements at full draw. And then overall uh, tip to tip length, because that's really what matters. If a guy's blind hunting and he's sitting on his butt in the blind, <clears throat> if he's got a, um, an old Bowtech. Remember the Bowtech 29-inch bow? What was it? The uh, Mighty Might. Mighty Might. Yeah. Let's go way back. Now, that's if so the, Bowtech, the limbs uh, held together at full draw. You mentioned that because <laughs> I true, went. True. Well, let's, let's just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's pretend it's brand new out of the box. Okay. <laughs> so, if a guy had that bow, and then he's used to shooting that, and it works perfectly out of his blind. And then he gets a new Matthews uh, B3X 29-inch bow. They're not the same. That 29-inch Matthews bow has a hubcap size cam on it. And that little Bowtech Mighty Mutt has an idler wheel on the top that's probably smaller than a skull can. So they're not going to function anywhere close to the same. They're not going to feel the same. And that overall length measurement, to me, is still more important because – that gives you your actual, the actual dimension of the bow, 
you know, that's the size of the bow. It's not a 29 inch axle to axle. It's a 36 inch tip to tip bow. So while we, you know, while we're talking about, you know, this and, and, and kind of, like you said, maybe change the narrative or, or help people just become better archers of knowing what they want, what they need, um, what small changes they might make. When you were talking, you know, when you did all the math, everything at full draw, and we talked about the string angle on people's faces and everything else, you know, the, the one thing that um, you have the, what I always call the the battle at five feet of you walk into a pro shop and you shoot through paper or you shoot the blind, you know, you, here you go. Uh, okay. That one has no hand shock, uh, draw smooth. Great. But it doesn't talk much about accuracy. Right. And when I say the battle of five feet, I like a report in my hand when a bow shoots, when I don't have any report, it's more difficult for me. And that's probably because I've been shooting a long time and the draw cycle is important, but really for me, accuracy is the key, which is one thing you guys stand by and talk about a lot is accuracy. And so when you look at these different, you know, bows and people are stereotyping a 33 inch bow, when I say stereotyping that it doesn't shoot like a 35 inch bow being able to, you know, I'm blessed enough. I got a pro shop at my house and targets, you know, actually being able to see if you group with that bow can be difficult depending upon where you're buying the bow and, and, and everything else. But it, it's it's hugely important to me is full draw stability on the bow that I'm shooting that you cannot get at five feet shooting just to see how it, it feels. And I'm probably not explaining this as well as I should, but I will take a bow with six times more hand shock then, then another one, if that bow is six times, and I'm pulling that out of my ass, six times more hand shock groups in a softball or sucks my groups down to half the size at 100 yards because I'm not going to need surgery from a little hand shock. I don't give a shit about hand shock. But what I do care about is I hit the dot. You guys want to talk a little bit about that and how maybe that's changed throughout the the, the years? When I say changed, I don't want to bash any, bash any specific companies, but... There are certain bows to me, for me, that are extremely smooth shooting, but do not have the accuracy down range. And so the hand shock thing to me specifically always kind of, I mean, it's not a 50 cal, right? I'm like, how much, you know, how important is that hand shock if there's a little bit, I mean, you guys are both in an older crowd like me, so maybe asking the wrong people, but fire away. I think I agree with you. I like the report of a bow. Um, I like that feel. I like that feedback. The the dead par- and of course everything's parallel limb design. And with the tip to tip going north and south, you don't get as much report. So I feel the same way. I'm I'm target background, target in my veins, target through and through. So dead in the hand, uh, no hand shock those those terms really don't resonate with me i'm i'm looking for stability and accuracy and forgiveness you know that's what i want when my pin's not on the dot and it fires my arrow somehow ends up in the dot that's the setup i'm looking for and i don't find that as attractive with a dead in the hand i almost feel like i have a fake follow through it's just like boom do you feel nothing and oh okay everything's supposed to extend now um i like that break and i think a lot of that is based off of the, you know, the takeoff angle of the limbs, the cam designs, the um, the differences in let offs, the differences in holding weights. Uh, 
And I think one thing that we, we offer to the crowd to give you, you know, if you buy a bow, a lot of times you have the bow and you can, you can twist and, and make it feel a little bit different, but we offer three different mods. Um, you know, the, the ethos is going to come with a performance mod. The Kairos is going to come with a smooth mod, the new allure, the shorter women's or short draw bow is going to come with the smooth mod as well. But all those mods interchange from last year's bows to this year's bows, the V2 mod, the V3 mod, you can make that bow feel different. You can make that bow react different. You can make it feel different at full draw. Um, there's just a lot of things you have so much more adjustability at your fingertips. Um, and flexibility in your feel of of what you you may not know what you like and if you don't that's fine if you can't describe what your shot feels like that's totally fine but we give shooters the option to explore that more and maybe find something that enhances what they're currently doing and makes it better uh, a lot of times people don't realize their potential because they're afraid to move things or they don't know they have the option to move things we try to put uh shootability you know we coined that term and i think i feel like what we do overall is really a good fit for a lot of people and if they don't know what that fit is they have a chance to explore it and get what they want i don't know if that touches the nuts and bolts of what you were looking there, but that's just kind of a, a general assessment feedback of what I feel anyway. No, no, it does some, but Nate, I mean, Nathan, what do you, what do you think on, on that? Yeah. So, um, I, I was with PSE for 13 years and I don't know if you guys, you know, the history of maybe of the bows and design and that sort of stuff. But, um, in 2005, we were building the, 2006 PSE X-Force. And that was the first time that we had ever had a limb that was anywhere close to that much bend and flex. And so the interesting thing was they had, the engineers had spec that bow at three different locations for me. And it was Eric Griggs and I were part of this, this research team. And so we go out to the factory and we shoot all of these bows and they had, um, like I said, there was three different bows that had three different limb bends. One limb bend was where the limb came up and it flattened out and it was perfectly flat when it got to brace height. But when you drew it back, it actually, the, the axle to axle got shorter than the overall limb length. Like if you were just measuring limb to limb, not tip to tip of the cam, but just limb to limb, it actually stayed longer uh, than your axle to axle measurement when you came to full draw. And then there was another one that we did that was the limb came up and was, it was a little bit longer axle to axle measurement. So the limb didn't quite level out, but when you got to full draw, it leveled out. And then we did one that was basically the opposite of both of those, which was when you draw the bow back at full draw, um, and you've got a measurement of the axle to axle is actually shorter than the full limb to limb length. That's the way it was at brace height. So when you drew it back, it got even further um, down. And, you know, so it got really short axle to axle, but it was basically what it was doing was <clears throat> the limbs were bent so much that yeah, they were just going straight up and down, but they weren't even reaching like parallel. You know, uh, is the best way for me to explain that over this conversation uh, without actually showing you what it looks like. But 
we shot all three and Eric and I both agreed that we liked as far as shooting goes, we, cause we shot these out at a hundred yards, have a wonderful range out there. And we were shooting at a hundred yards with them. The bow shot the best with the limb that was stood up more. It had way more hand shock. And we, both of us shot those bows better. We grouped better. Everything about it was better, except it didn't feel as good. So the one that felt the best was the one that was the shortest that had the limbs bent like crazy, but it felt like a noodle when you shot the bow. It just didn't have any feedback. It didn't group as good. It it felt amazing though. If you were just talking that five foot test that, you know, you go in the archery shop and bare naked bow, that bow felt amazing, but it didn't shoot that great. So they actually wound up going in between they did the one where basically the limbs are parallel at brace height. When you drew it back, it went past parallel and that felt really good. It shot pretty good. It didn't shoot as good as the one standing straight up, but that's what they wound up going with. And it was kind of splitting the difference because we all know what would happen. That bow would have gotten murdered uh, by the public if they'd left that limb setting, you know, setting more straight up and down and it felt as bad as it did a bare naked test but the the shooting side of that the shootability behind it it was better straight up and down so you've got to you got to you know unfortunately you have to cater to the market sometimes and what the market wants uh, and then sometimes you have to say okay this is better regardless so um the feedback and the feel i agree with darren i like that feedback i like the boat because i'm not worried about it i can put a Doinker stabilizer on a on a bow, and that'll take out a ton of hand shock with that little rubber piece on the end, um, or a CBE Torx. It's got that rubber dampener on the, anything with a rubber dampener on the end with weight that you can put on the end of the rubber dampener will dissipate a lot of vibration, which is why you see um, our new bows. They actually come with a little uh, Delta VRT dampener that's on the bow, and it's a rubber piece with a weight on the end of it. And that's basically what it's doing is taking out any uh, residual vibration that might be there in the riser. So you got to win that test though. You got to win that battle because I just, excuse me. It's difficult for me in that winning that battle because I, when I say difficult, this is my own deal here, but I, I, I strive for people to really focus on, on accuracy at a high level. And so you, you got to win the battle. I just want people to look about maybe winning the war and that is not the only battle. And so learning a lot of this stuff, what works for you, what's more important maybe when it comes to accuracy, rather than just saying this bow has no hand shock, it's the best. And, and it, that may be, but there's just so much more, you know, to it than, than just some basic things when you're shooting it at five feet. And like you had talked about, and I agree with you, I, I personally would have chosen the one that shoots better, but you, when you have some, I mean, immediately it's going on archery talk. That felt like a, a Oneida Eagle or whatever you want to, from 1990, yeah. what, you know what I mean? All the different, it's a cannon. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, how's the group? They never talk about that. And that, 
and when I say that, this is not elite because elite does not have a lot of report, but, but that, you know, trying to say, Hey, don't look past that. And whether that's any bow or, 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 Hey, don't worry about it. Cause that can get, that can get dampened down with your stabilization system and, and other things above and beyond we're talking about with a bow. I'll see guys just throw shit on their bow to look cool. And I'm like, Hey, did that help? Well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, did you did you group tune or not group? Did you shoot groups with different stabilization systems? Or did, he's no, no. I just threw that on, and I'm like, well, man, that's that's a 16 ounce penalty that I don't want to carry around. Like, you you have to test those things. You don't just yeah. throw them on. And that's also applicable to, are you a puncher? So if you're a puncher, you're going to want way different stabilization system. Generally, uh, I mean, you're going to have a a freaking stack of weights on the front of your stabilizer potentially if you're a puncher compared to if you're shooting a hinge and and why don't you guys talk about some of that with the different bows and the stabilization systems and and things to look at yeah i'll i'll chime in there first i know i i mentioned earlier in the broadcast and if people have have followed my journey at all i i i'm right-handed i don't do anything left-handed i switched to almost two and a half years ago so when I did switch, I took all the knowledge that I learned as a right-handed archer. Uh, and like Nathan says, at the beginning of the podcast, he learns every day. I'm still learning and I'm learning so much now because my body and my hands and the feel that I get by shooting left-handed, my, my senses are, are heightened. I'm hypersensitive to everything. And what I mean by that is when I add an ounce to the front, I can feel it now. When I add an ounce to the back or when I put my stable, my back bar in toward the riser or I kick my stabilizer out to create more leverage, I feel that now. Where when I did it right-handed, I would have had to add four or five ounces to really feel a difference. I just Maybe I took everything for granted. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. But now there's a cause and effect. Everything I do... I see a response or a result in a positive or negative way. Just last night, shooting at 20 yards indoors, I had, I just felt like my bow was a little herky jerky on the aim. And I was shooting a stabilizer straight out the front of the bow with a factory stabilizer bushing. Um, and I thought, you know what? My 3D bow, I've got a 10 degree down. I, and I don't know why. That's just where the bow aimed the best for me. It's where it felt the best. It's where I felt like I was getting the most consistency. So I took the 10-degree disconnect and threw it on my indoor bow, put that same stabilizer on there without anything, and I saw instant improvement in how my bow aimed. You know, why did it aim better? I don't know. Is it because the center of gravity changed because of that pendulum effect of the stabilizer pointing down? I don't know the exact words to base it all off of, but... I know every time I do something, I see an effect. And if you don't see an effect, you're probably wasting your time or you should look for that. I, I guess I guess try to be hypercritical of what you're doing. And if you're doing things and you don't know why you're doing it, you're probably not getting results out of it. I feel like I can see that now. And an ounce here, an ounce there, a couple of degrees here and there all can go back to string angle too. This whole story could go back to string angle, a couple, three degrees in your string angle can affect what you've seen in the past. Hey, this bow doesn't shoot as good. Well, is it because the bow doesn't shoot as good as you don't have it set up exactly like your other one was? So a lot of contributing factors there. But like I said, 
cause and effect. I see a difference now in what I'm doing. In uh, in 2004, I was uh, shooting for PSE, and the late George Chapman, who was a, an amazing person, one of those guys I wish I had known long, long before I met him, uh, told me, because I I just won the uh, the NFAA Indoor National Championship, and he told me, he said, Brooks, he said, make sure that you write down everything you can possibly write down right now. He said, all the way, he said, detail it all the way down to how your feet feel in your shoes. And I was like, what are you talking about, George? He says, well, when you're shooting good, you need to know every detail of why you're shooting good. Uh, write down how you feel. Write down uh, not just your bow specs. He said, that's a simple thing. He said, but write down all these things that really make a difference to you when you're shooting. He said, and only you really know that. And he said, what you're going to find is when you dig into that, you're going to find even deeper things that you may not have even thought about that happen to be there. And when he said, how your feet feel in your shoes, what's funny is, I was actually very, very cognitive of that feeling already to the point where I I had went to always just, you know, about, and you know, trying to find this or that. I remember when I was a kid watching Randy Ulmer shoot in a pair of shoes that I thought were bowling shoes of some sort. They were the weirdest looking things, but apparently he had had Danner make him some boots that had this crazy flat sole on it. And, uh, I, you know, that always stuck out in my mind again, saying what I said earlier, I, I watch people, I see the things that they do and try and pay attention to that because it, it, you know, where does it relate? How does it relate? And so I had found these shoes that had this sole on, on the toes of them <clears throat> that were really thick and it, it made your toes actually point up. And one of the problems I found that I had when I was shooting was especially indoors as I found myself um, transferring weight over my toes. Like my body would lean out to the right and go over my toes. And when I would do that, I would lose back tension in the shot and my shot would slow up. And the moment I would transfer the weight back over my heels slightly, boom, my shot would go off because it's transferring energy and it's it's like making my back muscles stronger. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I found these shoes that had these soles where my toes would stick up in the air. And that kept me from going over my toes quite as much. So I wrote everything down that I could possibly write down from how I felt, how I trained, what I thought about, what I didn't think about, um, you know, what would be important, what wouldn't be important. I mean, just, it, I mean, ridiculous stuff. But George was 100% right because I have went back to that thing over and over and over again. And it's helped when, you know, because every year um, being a shooter, you're supposed to shoot the new product because let's just face it, from a company standpoint, if you're not selling your new product, you're you're losing ground and you've got to be successful as a company. So, you know, we are pretty much required to shoot new product. So that's a challenge because when you come off of a year that you've had that's been extremely good, 
the last thing you want to do is put that bow down because you're just starting to feel real good with it. But guess what? As a professional shooter, you got to be able to do that. You got to put that one down, pick up another one and perform just as well with the new one. And so making all those notes was a really big thing, but it also showed me the things that are important to me and what does feel good and why it feels good. Why does this grip angle work better for me historically than this grip angle? Um, so again, going back to what Darren said too, I don't know if that actually goes to the point of what you were wanting to make there. Um, but with these new bows, I think the ability to adjust your draw length in a quarter inch measurement at a time, the ability to micro tune your, your let off to the point where it does, it does change your draw length slightly as well when you're changing that let off. But you know, you and I talked, Aaron, about your holding weight on your bows. and You like a lot of holding weight. I mean, most people can't, they, they grab your bow, draw it back, and it pretty much just eats them up because they can't even hold it back because of the amount of holding weight that you like. And so we're all individualistic as shooters, and those things make a difference. So that report that you feel on the shot for you is important because you know what that does for you as a shooter to be good. And these guys that just go in there and they shoot this bow and say, man, I don't feel anything when I shoot that bow. That's the best bow there is. Well, you're right. It might be super quiet and it may be really good for the tree stand hunter that's hunting in Louisiana that uses one pin and shoots out to about 25 yards because he's hunting in a swamp and he can't see any further. That's a great thing. But for Aaron Snyder in the mountains where you can shoot 150 yards if you want to in most situations that may not be what you need or what you want so you got to be able to customize and make it feel the way you want it to feel and we've got three different mods for these cams uh, we got a 75 percent mod it starts at 75 percent and you can get it all the way down to 60 percent let off if you want and then we've got a smooth mod which is still a high let off uh, high off high let off module that does 70 to 90%. And then we have a performance mod, which is going to get you your most speed, but it's 70 to 90% as well. And all those are, are adjustable in tiny, tiny increments when it comes to let off. So when you, just to make sure like people listening in kind of, I'm sure you understand a base idea, but, but d- diving in deeper, um, when, when we talked you know, Nathan mentioned, I like a, a more holding weight, um, I don't have an exact, there's nothing set in stone for me when I set a bow up. I have basic blueprint foundation of where I start and then I tinker. And, you know, cause not every bow is going to be the same that I like X amount of holding weight exact on each one. But what I do and what's really cool with the elite cam system is I make the micro adjustments and I sh- I'll shoot groups and I'll shoot groups. I don't check the holding weight. I just draw a cycle, how it feels in my hand, and I'm, okay, that's that's a little bit lower holding weight. I will shoot groups at 80 yards or whatever you're comfortable with where you can actually kind of group test. And then I'll shoot for a little bit, take a break, and then I'll change that let off, and I'll add holding weight to a point to where I know my pen is holding steadier for, you know, from shooting these groups um, and, and, you know, just looking at my pin and I'll, I'll just micro tune or tinker. And the same thing with my stabilizer. A lot of people, we brought that up already are afraid to do that 
But once you learn how and then you know what you want and what feels better, you will be a much better archer, much more accurate. But you have to have the bow that allows you to to do that as well and the knowledge. So you do have to you have to play with it. Yeah. And and to add to that some too, and, and I touched on it briefly in my last comment, the when I moved stuff, went from a, a, a straight stabilizer in, in the factory bushing to a 10 degree down and add an ounce here, add an ounce there. What that's doing is you're changing the leverage of that bow. When you put that extra weight on the front, it's actually kicking the bottom. It's kicking the bottom of the grip into the heel of your hand. So that leverage that you're putting all over your bow and changing these different weights and positions is actually changing how that bow sitting in your hand. And a lot of times changing that leverage and changing that position, it's just like holding weight. It's, it creates more tension from bow hand to release hand and how you hold that bow. And then when you start changing the leverage with weights, it repositions that grip in your hand and a couple of degrees or just a minute position change can affect what happens to that pin float. It can go from herky jerky in the yellow to a real slow, smooth figure eight right in the tin ring. And that's what you're looking for. So, you know, you don't just randomly do things. I guess you do randomly do things. You know, uh, Aaron just said, you tinker. And I think that's key. You have to have the ability to tinker because something really minute or a degree here, an angle there, one ounce here, one ounce there, it can dramatically affect how that bow fits you, how it feels and what your eye sees in your sight picture just by making those small changes. Well, and then I, what I think is awesome too about, you know, Aaron, you saying that, you know, you, you set up each bow like it's its own bow. I mean, because you don't know what one will do versus the next because they are different bows and you're going to perform with them uh, individually, but you're going to perform with each bow a little bit differently because they are different, they're different tools if they're made different. And so, I, I love that because I love hearing people say, well, I'm a, a 28 and seven eighths drawing. I'm thinking to myself, Oh wow. We've got this down to an eighth of an inch. Not on a I Matthews. Mean, you're not, because... you're probably 29. Is that fucking, they are not correct. And they're drawing. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, but it, and that's just it. It changes. I mean, think about this, you know, shooters need to think about these things. If you put a handheld release in your hand, or if you have a wrist strap release, whatever, the distance from the contact point of your finger, if it's a, like a T-handle, handheld release, your fingers contact that release at a certain point. And that measurement from there to the hook on the release, you can ask all these shooters that tell you, I'm 28 and 7 eighths draw length, you can ask them, well, what's the distance from the hook to your to your finger contact well they don't even have a clue what you're even talking about and that changes if you change releases i can guarantee you it's it's different from release to release so that alone is going to change how you hook up to the loop and then hey ask them what's their loop length you know because that also makes a difference and so when we start talking about all the whys as to why does this work a certain way when we get back into this bow design, that's why I wish people would get their heads out of the sand on the axle to axle length they think that they need and go try this bow, go try that other bow, go try this and literally put enough time in it 
to say that it's yes, it's good or no, it's it's bad or, or whatever. Like for instance, this year, I'm starting out the year tournament shooting. I'm going. I'm going to tournament shoot 3D shoot with the Ethos. I've never spent a great deal of time with that length of bow. It's always been a longer bow because it's the, I'm air quoting here for these people that are listening, uh, it's been the target bow. And so I want to try something that is shorter and see if I actually can perform with it as well. And I'm going to find all kinds of little things I know that I'll do better with it or that I might do worse with it. And when we put ourselves in boxes and say, well, I got to have this, I got to have that, and I got to have that. Well, as technology changes, you got to be able to move and change with the technology that's, you know, that's changing. If you're going to stay up with any of the bows and, uh, you know, I've heard people say, well, I need 20 pounds of holding weight. And I'm going to tell you what, I was that guy. I was that guy for the longest time to the point of, I even had David Cronigal who worked at PSC was the head engineer out there. He made mods for me one year that would hold exactly the weight that I wanted to hold. And guess what? I shot that worse than I did the factory setup. Nailed it. It showed me right then. Like I, I didn't do that better. The way it, he already had it designed was better for me, but I thought that I needed that. And so as, as I've changed with all these things, when I went to elite, my first year shooting elite, I thought, I'm going to just start off 29 and a half inch draw, which is what I've been shooting historically for a long time. I got that bow and I started shooting it pretty well. But when I got under pressure, I didn't perform with it very well. And just out of the blue, a buddy of mine who hung out here at the house all the time, set up a bow. It was a 30 inch draw victory 37. And he even set it up when he told me, he's like, Hey, I'm going to set this up at, with all of your equipment. Cause I didn't care if he was shooting it. And he's like, I'm going to set this up with all your equipment and see how we can make this work. And if, if I like it, maybe you can try it and see if it feels good to you. So one day I decide I'm going to shoot this thing. It's 30 inch draw. It's a half inch longer than I normally shoot. I started shooting the bow and shot it extremely good. The next ASA tournament was the Kentucky ASA. I went there and I won that tournament with that bow at 30 inch draw. And I would have never done that had he not set that bow up. So you don't know until you try and having that adjustability on these boats is super, super important. No, it it is. And I, as we, I don't want to dive too, I don't want to take your guys morning up too much longer, but like when you were talking about D loop links and, you know, people will ask me, you know, what's your draw length? And I'm like, well, technically my draw length is, is this, well, what do you have it set up on the bow? And I generally don't know. Like I don't, when I say I don't know, you know, I'll start on a whatever setting and then I just tinker with it. And then where I end up, I really don't pay that much of attention. I probably should, but I just go to where it's comfortable. But the, the D loop plays into that as well. And and for me on a shorter bow, I shoot a shorter D loop when I say shorter for a tighter V. So when you go to full draw, the, the string angle is, um, you know, much tighter. So with a shorter D loop, I may not have to dip my head down as much with a longer axle to axle bow. I can get away with a little bit longer, you know, D loop. Those are all things you have to, to, to play with. The the thing is, is on, on that cam system, what, what people are probably wondering, that sounds like a pain in the ass. It's literally just a couple Allen screws 
and that's it. Like it's, it's super simple. And so, you know, when you're micro tuning these and in, in with this cam system, you can micro tune back and forth from, okay, you get your draw link set up, but then as you are lowering, maybe you're holding uh, weight or your let off that also slightly changes your draw length. So maybe then you're okay, I'm, I'm good, but my draw length's a little short. Well, you could put a little bit longer D loop on, or you could readjust and that's a little bit more in depth than most people want. But once you learn how to do that and what we're talking about, you will be better. And a lot of the, oh shit arrows will magically go away that you have or flyers once you start getting that comfortable with your your setup well yeah and, and that goes back to the point i was saying before like in tournament archery we're trying to minimize mistakes that that arrow that's errant we're trying to take that one out because when you can take that one out magically you're you gain four five six points a tournament um, just because that one arrow and so when you're hunting that's the same thing i mean guess what if you've shot 10 animals and you know it's bow hunting right i mean you are going to make mistakes from time to time an animal can take a step or you can just make a bad shot um and that's hunting but if we can minimize those things and make us better then you're going to be more successful and that's why all of those adjustments are on those bows so we can customize that exact feel that you're looking for. And, um, you can know that you, you know, you can have a hundred percent confidence. You got it right because you, you spent the time you've been able to try this stuff. And literally it's a T15 screw. Uh, there's two of them, uh, that you take out and you can move the mod, rotate it quarter inch. Um, or you can adjust the, the let off, um, uh, just a little bitty Allen head. So yeah, it's super, super simple. Um, no, for, for sure. Um, I, I don't, uh, like I said, I don't want to take up all of your mornings. Is there anything either of you two, uh, want to kind of chime in with, whether that be about tech tips, archery tuning, or, you know, uh, elite in general? I, I want to add something just to what we've been talking about there. I was thinking about, you know, the adjustability. And like you said, the D loop could change your drawing could, could change depending on where you set your let off, et cetera, et cetera. I can't count the number of times uh, that I've shot an indoor tournament or a 3d tournament across the country and seen real wild Chris Schaff, uh, Jimmy Lutz, Staff and Hanson. I mean, some of the best shooters in the world shoot their first round, or maybe even they're on practice day. You know, they've 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 worked on a bow, they have fine-tuned it, they've got it to be the most perfect shooting machine they can get. They've packed it in a case, they've traveled to this tournament, then they get to the tournament and feel like something's not right. You know, they'll throw their bow in the press and add three twists to their string, or they'll, you know, change the yoke, or they'll do some Mike Schlosser's another one. I've seen them I've seen them literally change their bows either just before or even in the middle of a tournament to find that feel or to get something better or to make an improvement. Um, so don't be scared to try different things to make it better. You know, sometimes you're going to make it worse, but don't fear your equipment. There's really nothing you're going to screw up unless you dry fire it. But if you want to just add a twist here and there, raise your peep a little, change your D loop link, change your let off, whatever, make minute changes, search for improvement. Don't be afraid to make things better. And the only thing I would add to that is 
a tuning manual or a owner's manual is uh, is helpful. But when you get into fine tuning adjustments and things like that, you can't be scared to uh, to make adjustments that you may think aren't right. Uh, and I don't mean just go crazy with things, but for instance, I battle this a lot. Um, for some odd reason, people think there's a measurement on a bow that center shot is X measurement. And as you mentioned earlier, you, you know, you got big hands, you're just however you are, you shoot left tears with bows. So you typically have to shim your cams to the left, which also means more than, more than likely your center shot is going to be inside or maybe a little bit right of center just because you get left tears. So you're trying to uh, you know, take that away. So with those things being said, center shot is a measurement that I hear all the time. Oh, it should be 13 sixteenths. Trust me. I've been part of these design teams for years. No one says that it has to be a certain measurement. It can be an inch. It can be a half inch. It, it just needs to be wherever it fits you and whatever works for that bow and you, because not all of them are going to act the same together. So, um, you know, those, those manuals are important because they can help you learn, but at the same time, you got to get outside of that box sometimes and, and figure out where you fit with that particular bow. No, I, I agree. And I think that, uh, the only thing I would say is there's generally, and this is for oversimplification when I'm helping someone. And I always will say, start around here, right? Whatever, you know, whatever that, that is. But with what Nason said, even where you place the D loop, uh, has a lot to do with the tune has a lot to do for the feel of the bow. Like back in the day, it was always dead center in the burger hole where I found some bows tune a little bit better, maybe higher, just right at the top of the burger hole. And, or you might hold a little, anyway, not going into great depth, listen to these two learn to adjust your bow and it will make you better. Um, you know, learn, just become more of a, a, a steward, a, um, uh, I don't want to call it like a master of, of archery, like uh, just learn as much as you can. Cause the chance of you screwing something up so bad, it's not fixable is very low. It's doable, but it's generally not going to happen. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, cool. You guys got anything else? Yeah, well, we... Ah, no, I think we've covered a lot. I don't want to, I don't want to bore anybody any more than I, uh, hopefully we haven't bored anybody, but uh, no, I, I think we've covered a lot of good stuff. That was an awkward silence, yeah, Nathan. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know I was queued up. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy with uh, what we've covered today. I think it's been good. I mean, obviously, we've got we got three new bows. We got the the Ethos and the Kairos, and they're basically the exact same bow with different cam configurations different cams and so it's different draw length offerings and then we got the allure which is a a a shorter draw length bow um you know lots of marketing assets are going to be put towards women with that but trust me i've already seen a lot of guys that are in that draw length range that love how that bow is and love the way it feels so i think the allure is going to do really well as, as well 
And uh, those are the three new offerings. But look, I mean, we still got the Carbon Era from last year, which, you know, that's the bow I'm hunting with. I mean, we got these three new ones, but I love that Carbon Era. And we still have the Omnia, which is our fast bow, 347 feet per second IBO. Um, you know, it's a great, great bow. Did really well last year on the market. Um, you know, as I said, I've got five and a half states. And the majority of the dealers I have that had those bows had a great sell through with them. So that's, that's really what you're looking for, um, is how well the bow moves out of the dealers. Um, and it's not how well I sell them, but it's how well they sell them. So, um, that's good. That means it was received really well. And then of course we've got basin ember. Those are your two kind of, I won't call them starter bows because they, they can be much more than that, but they have, huge draw length and draw weight adjustments in them. And then there's the, the terrain, which is a great budget bow. Um, it won a budget bow of the year or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly what that was, how it was coined last year, but uh, value bow of the year, not budget. That's what it was with field and stream. And then, uh, like I said, the Carbonara won bow of the year last year. I mean, and when I say bow of the year, I'm not talking about for elite. I'm talking about for all the bows out there. Field and Stream said that's the best one out there. So uh, that that was big for us. It definitely helped us um, establish ourselves here on the map. Yeah, I, I want to add something to this, too, just so people kind of understand uh, the business side of this if they don't understand it or they don't think outside the box a little bit you know because we get criticized every year well why didn't you do 80 pounds why didn't you do 32 inch bows why didn't you build a 34 35 inch carbon bow and and off that subject exactly we the carbon era was our first attempt at a carbon carbon riser bow and like nathan said it was bow of the year but some of the hurdles that we have on the manufacturing side supply demand you know that bow we missed our forecast we sold more than what we ever dreamt we would because it was a fantastic bow there's no way we could come out with another carbon bow in 2024 because it took us the whole year to all but perfect the supply chain for the era and what i mean by that is if just for basic math if we ordered if we got a hundred orders for an era and we ordered a hundred risers when we would receive the risers into the factory for quality inspection, only about 60 of them would pass what we felt like was a perfect riser. So one out of every three, we would have to reject. So 30 some people that ordered that first initial hundred bows would have to wait until we got another shipment. Now we are at like 97%. So a very small percentage of the orders don't get fulfilled when we say they're going to be fulfilled, which affects our lead times. We couldn't come out with a new bow and then have a eight month lead time, you know, order it in January, get it in August. That's horrible. So it's not because we don't want to bring out new offerings to the market. There's sometimes there's manufacturing hurdles that we experience that we don't talk about you know, uh, and people may not understand that, but we are just now perfecting the process on the era. Our lead times are much shorter. Um, we don't put out junk. If it's not what we think it's gonna be, we're not gonna ship it out the door. So you're gonna see that era right another year, just like the verdict. The verdict to me is the best target bow we've ever built. It is our target bow option for 2024. Is there gonna be more carbon options in the future? 
probably. I'm going to guess and say, yeah, I hope there is. But I think you'll see some things in 2025 because there's always things that we don't forecast and problems that are unforeseen that come into the equation. So we don't do stuff just to piss people off and say, ha, we're not giving you what you want again this year. That's not the case. There are some things that hold back production and manufacturing. So that's just a little explanation of sometimes why we do what we do. Gotcha. Well, if Elite listens to this and they want to build uh, me an 80 pounder, it won't hurt my feelings. <laughs> uh, how much do you guys get bugged on the, what's, what's the, do you get bugged on the 80 pound thing a lot? I see it a lot on social media. We, I get a few questions. Like when people send a question to the elite Facebook page, the elite messenger page, it comes to my phone. Um, so I get to see a lot of questions, a lot of scenarios. I get to see a lot of information, and it does come up. It's not as much, but the 80-pound requests are the same as the 32-inch requests. So if you see 50 people wanting 32-inch bows, there's 50 people wanting 80-pounders. And that's just random numbers I'm throwing out there, but it, it does come up um, – it's not like super repetitive, like, oh my gosh, we got to do it because the ethos is offered in 75 pound. I, I know it's not 80, but there's only one level of dead and 75 pounds should get you to that level of dead. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, we get requests, you know, there's a, everybody wants everything different. We can only do so many bows per year. Uh, we try to hit the majority of the needs once and the majority of our customer base. And unfortunately, we do leave some people out. And it's not by design uh, every single time. But, um, you know, we're hoping we can please as many people as we can. Nathan, that's another one of those awkward silences. You got anything? Did we lose him? Must have. Yeah, he's not on. It's it's not even beeping up on here now. Huh. Who knows? Um, Let me see. Huh. Let me see if I can get him back. You still there, Aaron? I'm here. He probably had to go potty. Well, it looks like I lost them. Uh, no big deal. Uh, we got all the info out we needed to. Uh, Darren and Nathan are great people. I was happy to have them on, um, you know, explain some of the things with the new bows. So I am not going to go through the hoops of trying to get them back on here. Uh, we got plenty of info out. So thanks for tuning in. Sorry, it's been a couple months since I've done a podcast. I've got a few more today to do to get caught back up. Uh, but again, thanks for listening and all support uh, through me personally as well as Kafaru. Uh, it means a lot.